Below the Bar podcast is not meant to be taken as legal advice. It is purely used for entertainment purposes. Corbin and I are not attorneys. In fact, we haven't even graduated law school yet. We don't even know if we're going to graduate. We don't even know if we're going to graduate. That's scary. So if you have any legal concerns, please, 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 I urge you guys to seek an actual attorney. With that being said, I hope you enjoy this episode. And that's all I have to say. Hi guys, welcome to Below the Bar Podcast. My name is Drew, and with me as always is my co-host Corbin. How's it going? And we're going to take a little bit of a break from the standard 1L topics, and we're going to move into professional responsibility, something that law students will typically take their third year of law school, but I'm sure that varies. By the way, we just took the MPRE recently, which is the professional responsibility test. and It's not fun. It's not fun. But... We made it through. Yeah. We're good. Done. On the other side. <laughs> so, without much further ado, we have Verzi, the Grand Trunk Warehouse and Cold Storage. as uh, a professional responsibility case dealing with, I think the main areas that they talk about are this Rule 3.3, which is candor to the court, and 4.1, which is truthfulness and statements to others so you have this obligation to as an attorney to speak truthfully to other people whether that be opposing counsel or the court or whoever whomever it may be right so we'll get into Verzi. this is a pretty crazy case uh this whole case revolves around attorney ethics particularly when the plaintiff is dead yeah so Verzi filed a personal injury lawsuit against grand trunk grand trunk's the defendant and throughout the course of the trial litigation, I guess it was pre-trial litigation, I believe. I think so, yeah. Um, Verzi dies. Yeah, unrelated to the personal injury. This is totally... Right, yeah. yeah, he just died. And Verzi's attorney continues to go. Mediation had already been awarded, so they were doing that. His attorney keeps going, and finally they reach a settlement. Yeah, his attorney never informed... I don't even think he informed the court. No, he didn't. He, he didn't, didn't tell anyone. Anyone. Yeah. Um, so he, they reached the settlement, which was thirty five thousand dollars. Then, what was it? He they were like in an elevator after the court. <laughs> yeah, the him and opposing. Like yeah, uh, Verzi's counsel and opposing counsel were like walking out to an elevator, and Verzi was like, "By the way, my guy's dead." <laughs> that was a dramatic pause. They, they were just like. Wait, what? <laughs> He's dead. <laughs> yeah, so basically, the opposing counsel was like, okay, well, we wouldn't have made this settlement if we knew that Verzi was dead. Right, I think a big reason as to why they made this settlement was because Verzi would have made a really good yeah. witness at trial. So they were like, we're just going to settle out of, out of court here and just, you know, leave it at that. Right, but without Verzi. Yeah, they wouldn't they have made the settlement. Yeah, he ended up challenging that and the court basically leans on whether a lawyer has an ethical duty to inform opposing counsel of a client's death before entering into a settlement agreement let's stop right there the issue is whether an attorney has a duty to inform opposing counsel of the death of his client 
without any legal education, just using common sense. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Especially, so in this case, they had named, because you could also, I mean, people were probably like, well, I mean, why wouldn't his estate just get the 35000 Well, that'd be fine and well, except Fursey's attorney never filed a motion to substitute the party as being the estate. Right. Like, he could have switched them out and been like, hey, where's he died? Goes to his state. Yeah. And then basically whatever his will says. Yeah, there was ways around this. Yeah. He just, he just didn't do, do any of them. Yeah. So defendants argue that the sole reason for, again, or the sole reason for accepting the settlement in the first place is because Verzi would have made an excellent witness at trial. They said the settlement is void because plaintiff's attorneys failed to disclose the death at the time of the settlement. And the settlement is void because there was no substitute party such as the plaintiff's estate, to have the settlement properly made. So Verzi's attorneys come back and they say, no, we acted ethically and properly because Verzi was alive when the mediation statement was filed and because nothing in the statement was false and misleading. Verzi's attorney also said that he was not aware of Verzi's death at the time of the mediation hearing and he did not become aware until three days after the award of the mediation If defendant asked, he said he would have he told him. <laughs> I, I love that line. That... That line to me is great. Well, why didn't you ask me why? Yeah, because I mean, I feel like you have this general presumption that you know the client is alive unless somebody tells you otherwise. That's on you. <laughs> That's... You just assume people are still living every day. Yeah, balls in your court, pal. <laughs> like I just, I. That's the classic. I got caught in a lie. It's just like, yeah. well, you didn't ask if I was doing that. Yeah, you, you didn't care to find out so i just kept doing it yes yeah, so he also said the settlement was binding even though no formal motion to substitute the representative of Verzi's estate as the party was made did he say why he said that that just doesn't make any sense to me like like i understand that he thinks the settlement should be binding because it's been given right but at the same time you just didn't do a part of your job yeah then there's nobody to to you know Right. the settlement to go to because you can't give money to the dead guy but you also it has to go to him because that's what the settlement was awarded to it wasn't awarded to the state but at this point there's no named plaintiff i mean he's exactly. he's dead yeah you know i mean and there's no substitution of the estate so there's we just have this this dilemma here so basically this plaintiff very verzi dies and his attorney just never says anything so the court looks at these two rules, which I named earlier, which is Rule 3.3 of the Model Rules of Professional Conduct. That is candor to the court, and that rule states that a lawyer shall not knowingly make false statements of material fact or law to a tribunal, which is a court or arbitration panel or you know, whatever, right. uh, fail to disclose a material fact to the tribunal when disclosure is necessary to avoid assisting a criminal or fraudulent act by the client. A lawyer shall not knowingly offer evidence that the lawyer knows is false. If a lawyer offered material evidence and learns of its falsity, it must take re- reasonable remedial measures. That's a hard one to say. Reasonable remedial measures. So the last piece of this, which I think is the key one here, is such duties continue until the conclusion of the proceeding and apply even if compliance requ- requires disclosure of confidential information. Right. Yeah, I think that's a big one. Yeah. And there's this comment to Rule 3.3, which is failure to disclose is equivalent to an affirmative misrepresentation in some circumstances, which I think is also vital here. Yeah, I mean, because, like, I, I mean, this whole case, like, 
he didn't disclose that this guy died, so yeah. Failure two, that's a misrepresentation. He's literally not representing anyone yeah. at this point. <laughs> yeah, so he's going forward as if he was. That's a big misrepresentation, buddy. And so yeah, like, so the court in reasoning, like as we talked about, they used those rules. They also used a Supreme Court case from Minnesota called Spalding v. Zimmerman. And in that case, Zimmerman, or no, Spalding was injured in a car accident, I believe. Yeah, I think so. And yeah. then uh, Zimmerman's attorney employed a physician who actually, when looking at Spalding, actually saw more injuries than Spalding's physician. And they just basically kept that quiet. They were like, okay, well, we're not going to tell them about that. Yeah, I think it was an aneurysm or something, too. Yeah, I can't like, remember what exactly yeah. it was. But yeah, so they just kept it quiet, and then the trial ended, and then two years later, Spalding found out about this injury. So then they go end up going back to court for these additional damages. That was that, yes, so that wasn't it. They found that he had an aortic aneurysm, and they just never told him about that. <laughs> and then, t- and the, which, I don't know if you know about aneurysms, but they can kill you immediately. Yeah. <laughs> like your heart, your aorta just explodes. Right. <laughs> so they just didn't tell this guy. Yeah. Do you know what, did you catch what the court held there? I think I have it here. Um, yeah, so the court held that Zimmerman's counsel did have a duty arising from the attorney's duty of candor towards the tribunal to disclose to the court all information relevant to the court's decision to approve or reject the negotiated settlement agreement. So basically, because they didn't disclose this aneurysm, the settlement was, I would assume, lower than it should have been. Yeah, I think they vacated the settlement. Or no, they... Yeah. Yeah. Zimmerman's attorney provided authority for the court to exercise discretion to vacate the settlement agreement. Okay, yeah. Yes, yeah. yeah, so that was that's right there, guys. I mean, you have to disclose this stuff. Right. I think they said that he didn't have to when they were in this adversarial relationship, but the duty to disclose did arise after a settlement was reached. So I guess that's a little bit different. Yeah, I just, I know that the court in this Mersey case leaned on Spalding, Spalding, Spalding yeah. to basically talk about the candor towards the tribunal. Yeah, okay, yeah. Well, they also talked about this Toledo Bar Association case. So they had this attorney that specialized in workmen's comp law. He had knowledge of this Ohio Industrial Commission's practice to deny, to deny any claim for permanent total disability benefits on notice of death of a claimant. Despite this knowledge, he withheld his client's death until after a hearing on the motion concerning claim in order to collect a fee. So this is quite similar right. to Verzi here. Uh, this was a violation of the rules, and the attorney was subsequently suspended indefinitely, which, okay, yeah. So it sounds like, again, what should happen here, you would think. The State Bar Committee on Professional and Judicial Ethics Opinion 142 was another quick thing that the court in Versey kind of looked at, where it said a lawyer who knew he was representing a minor had f- but failed to disclose that fact to the court, and it takes steps to have a guardian appointed. So while it is expected that each lawyer will contend with zeal for the rights of his client, nevertheless, he owes an affirmative duty of absolute candor and frankness to the court, which transcends his private employment. A lawyer has no right to seek to advantage his client at the expense of the court. So, right. So basically, do your job for your client, but you can't hide things or lie about things. Be fair. You know, you have to disclose this stuff to the court. Which, again, makes sense. 
So this ultimately, in this case, the settlement was set aside and the case was reinstated for trial. Right. Uh, but I do kind of want to go back here. Uh, the, the court said they ultimately held that while plaintiff's death was unrelated to the lawsuit, it did have an effect on the defendant's willingness to settle. And this is clearly evidenced by the fact that you know, the defendants came out and flat out said the only reason we settled was because he would have been a great witness. Yeah. And me, he's not here. So, I mean, come on, guys. Uh, plaintiff's attorney also never made a suggestion of his client's death, nor moved to substitute the estate as a party. Uh, this caused they didn't ask. Yeah, they, they didn't ask. <laughs> don't ask. Just don't ask, guys. So this is, I mean, clearly this case is very similar to that opinion 142, where withheld the the attorney withheld the fact that his client was a minor, and they said that this duty of absolute candor and frankness was, you know, transcended his private employment. There was a couple large court statements that I just kind of wanted to touch on. We can just kind of talk about each here, but the same duty of candor and fairness required a disclosure to opposing counsel, even though counsel did not ask whether the client was still alive. Although each lawyer has a duty to contend with zeal for the rights of his client, he also owes an alternative or an affirmative duty of candor and frankness to the court and to opposing counsel when such a major event as the death of the plaintiff is taking place. We don't really need to touch any more on that. I mean, that's we've said that a hundred times by now. Right. I mean, people get that. Candor and honesty necessarily require disclosure of such a significant fact as the death of one's client. It's pretty much a reiteration. Standards of ethics require greater honesty, greater candor, and greater disclosure, even though it might not be in the interest of the client or his estate. So that you you have to disclose stuff that even might not work in your favor. Right. If it's like a, like we talked about before, you can't hide things or lie about things that your client has done, like dying, just to help them. Right. So there's this absolute duty of candor and fairness on part of counsel to both the court and opposing counsel. I guess they owe that duty to. No, I know it's duty of candor to the tribunal, but it's also owed to opposing counsel. Right. Yeah. The uh, the opposing counsel basically deserves to know what's going on. Yeah. So that's, I mean, anything else we say is really going to be a reiteration of what we have already said. This case is pretty simple, but it's just a ridiculous fact pattern. If your client dies, guys, say something. Or don't say something in the elevator. <laughs> or just don't, or just don't ever say. No, no say something. <laughs> say you, something. Have to. you have to say something, guys. That's just ridiculous to think that you could even get away with that. And I, I don't know what happened to this attorney. Did you? I I was going to ask the same thing because to me it just kind of sounds like they pushed the settlement aside and said, "All right, we have to read these." Yeah, I don't um, know if he got suspended like that one attorney in Toledo. I didn't Toledo. see anything anywhere about him getting suspended. But yeah, yeah, I, I, I would assume. I mean, he should have, in my opinion. Because how about this, guys? If anybody out there knows what happened to this guy, please just you know shoot us a DM on Instagram or whatever. Let us know because I'm curious. But we can also look it up. But we're trying to make this podcast interactive, guys. So get with it. Yeah, and again, I say it every week. But if you guys have something you want us to go over, a case that you want us to read, send it to us on Instagram below the bar podcast. If you have any suggestions for us, something we can do better. Um, to dive into things more let us know yeah because this is a learning process i mean we've this is episode six, six and i mean so we're new to this and it's just we're having a lot of fun but i know we can make it better for you guys and for us so 
just you know any tips anything any suggestions anything you want to hear yes corbin said let us know listen for us on spotify apple Podcasts, stitcher we're going to be coming to youtube soon wherever you can listen to podcasts and we hope you guys enjoyed this episode and we'll see you guys next week have a good day